Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. As we celebrate Christmas this morning, and as we look forward to next Sunday being the beginning of a new year, this being the last Sunday of um, this past year, we, we look back at this past year and we realize that, that for much of it, the biggest and most pressing question um, that we faced in, here in America has been, who will our next leader be? And it's not a trivial question, right? It, who leads us matters a great deal. Leadership matters. On a smaller scale, probably all of us have suffered and endured being in a toxic environment produced by poor leadership. Maybe it was a supervisor at work, a teacher in the classroom, a friend in our circle of friends, or even a family member. And that leader created an environment which was a poisoned environment and made life miserable for everyone who had to be under that leader. Hopefully, we've also at other times gotten to experience the wonderful difference that really good leadership makes. But leadership matters either way. And this matter of good leadership is a central concern for the people that today's scripture was originally written to. Let's begin looking at today's text by remembering who these people were and what was going on for them. Because I think for most of us, the primary context that we think of today's text is, is a crazy Christmas service like this morning's. But of course, that's not what was going on when God originally inspired Isaiah to speak these words. Rather, the original context was a crisis of leadership. You can read about it um, back in Isaiah 7. The time was 735 BC or thereabouts. The place was Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. By this time in the history of God's people, the the nation of Israel had split into the northern tribe of Israel, uh, the northern tribes, and the southern tribe of Judah. And and the king of Judah at, at that time was a guy named King Ahaz, and Ahaz had a huge problem. You see, Ahaz was becoming king as a great and dreadful empire called Assyria was pushing westward and southward, threatening the region where God's people lived. Assyria had already built a vast empire to the east, and now they had set their sights on expanding that empire all the way to include Egypt in the west. But to do that, they had to control Syria and Israel and Judah. And in response, the kings of Syria and Israel had joined forces to stop Assyria, and they were pressuring Judah to join them in this alliance, but for whatever reason, King Ahaz refused. Well, in response, the two kings invaded Ahaz with the object of deposing him as king and putting a more cooperative king to their plans on the throne in Jerusalem. To make matters worse, the small kingdoms of Philistia and Edom, which were neighbors of Judah, used this opportunity to attack Judah. And so Ahaz and the people of Judah were in a real jam. This was a critical situation. It was the kind of situation which calls for really good leadership. Well, tasked with being God's spokesperson um, during this time was the prophet Isaiah. Back in Isaiah 7, the Lord appealed to Ahaz through Isaiah and invited Ahaz to trust the Lord in this crisis, promising to to rescue Judah out of this jam. But instead, Ahaz panicked. In his fear and in his cowardice, he turned to the biggest power he could think of, Assyria itself. 
And he begged the empire of Assyria to, to help him, to come and rescue him from Israel and Syria. And in return, he, of course, pledged he would be submissive to Assyria. So Ahaz refused to trust the Lord his God and chose to trust Assyria instead. Leadership matters. And this is the kind of leadership that King Ahaz gave his people, God's people, in their moment of greatest need. So question, how did God feel about this? How did God respond? Well, in Isaiah 7 to 9, Isaiah gives Ahaz and Judah God's response. Did I say, uh, let me say that again to make sure I got my names right. Isaiah gave Ahaz and Judah God's response. I think that's what I said. Now, the prophets, people like Isaiah, were often creative in the way they communicated their messages. And in this case, Isaiah's message comes through the names God has him name his children who are being born to him during this time. Now, in a way, directing our attention to children at a time like this is appropriate because what's on parents' minds when times are scary and tense and uncertain? What kind of world will our children grow up in, right? And, and, and so God points Judah's attention to the next generation and what their future will be. There was, of course, first of all, the child Emmanuel, whose name means God with us. Then there was Shir Yashub, whose name means a remnant will return. And then third, there's my favorite, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, whose name means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. <laughs> and, and all of these names that God had Isaiah give to these children were double-edged swords. On the one hand, they signified that the Lord would still be with his people to, to rescue them from the immediate threat of Assyria and, uh, sorry, Israel and Syria by granting Assyria victory over those nations. And sure enough, Ahaz's plan seems to work. Assyria does come and defeat Syria and Israel, rescuing Judah from them. And so, yay, the threat of war is over. The children can now grow up in peace. But it's not a good peace. Because on the other hand, Ahaz has now chosen for his people Assyria as their Lord rather than God as their Lord. And so Assyria's lordship they will get. This was God's punishment, the logical consequences of Ahaz's own decision. Assyria now expects Judah to be subject to empire and her gods. And God's people never really gain their independence again. And so ultimately, Judah pays a heavy price for Ahaz's leadership failure. Leadership matters. So question before we continue. For those Christians in America who long for America to be a consciously Christian nation once again, why do so many of them spend more time advocating for America to have a strong military and giving their opinions about who our allies should be and why do they spend so little time urging our leaders to put their trust in the Lord of hosts and the King of kings? Isn't that just making the same mistake Ahaz made here all over again? It's something to think about as we consider what the lessons that God was teaching Ahaz and, and his people, what those lessons mean for us. And as we now look at this Christmas prophecy found in our text in Isaiah 9. Is there no hope for Ahaz? And for the people of Judah. Is their fate going to be just unending oppression by this hostile foreign power? 
No, indeed. Isaiah now offers hope in the form of the birth of yet another child, a fourth child, or, or maybe one of the first three expressed in a different way. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who's this child? Sounds like a, a new leader, perhaps one to replace Ahaz. And unlike the three previous children that Isaiah mentioned, whose names were double-edged swords, there is nothing negative about this child. His birth brings only hope and blessing for God's people. He is a child of pure grace. Into a situation in which leadership matters and in which Judah's leaders failed miserably, bringing misery on all of God's people, God now offers hope for the future. Isaiah foretells the birth of a new king, a much better king than Ahaz, a new leader who will only bring good and blessing for the people of God. Isaiah begins by proclaiming that this will be good news for Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. This was the land of Israel, Judah's neighbor to the north, the region that Assyria had just conquered. These were the very places hardest hit by the, by the Assyrian invasion. They were places now experiencing gloom and distress under the humbling judgment of God. And yet in the future, God will honor and bless them, he promises. Then in verse 2, Isaiah continues prophesying in the past tense. The events that Isaiah is talking about haven't come to pass yet. And yet he uses the, the past tense because they're so certain that God can speak of them as if they've already happened. Notice the contrast that Isaiah describes here. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On the people living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Darkness. Israel's utterly destroyed. Judah, saved from war, is now facing foreign oppression. Both nations, through their leaders, had, had chosen to live apart from the, the presence of God who is their light. They have rejected God. They've rejected God's guidance and God's help, and they're now reaping the consequences. But now Isaiah announces as he looks off into the future, he sees a light has dawned, a great light. Judgment is not the last word. No, undeserved grace is the last word. So hang in there, God says through Isaiah, for the day is coming when in my grace I will send a leader to come and save you. It's as certain as if it's already happened, past tense. The night is fading. The darkness is being dispelled like the morning mist as the warm sun, uh, the light of the sun comes and shines upon it. God is going to do something huge, something transformational out of the darkness. This reminds me of the first Narnia movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Narnia was locked in a perpetual winter. Uh, under the spell of the evil witch. But now as the story continues, Aslan is on the move. The, the king is stirring in Narnia again, and a great thaw begins. Signs of spring begin to appear. The snow melts, the flowers bloom, the shoots of green grass push up out of the snow-covered earth. That's what God is up to through this child, this baby to be born. Isaiah then continues in verses 3 to 5 to describe the, the reversal of everything bad that, that God's people had just experienced. Now, 
The king has enlarged the nation, we read. This nation, which was shrinking as Assyria was pressing in and carving it up, is now going to be enlarged. This reversal brings great joy, Isaiah tells us, to replace the sorrow and the, the mourning of defeat and oppression. The people rejoice like farmers who enjoy a bountiful harvest, like victors who divide up the plunder. Harvest time and victory time. These were the two most joyful, abundant events in Isaiah's day. These were times when food and drink were most plentiful as farmers gathered in their harvest. And times when riches and and treasure abounded as soldiers had plundered their enemies and brought the loot home. Today it might be like hitting the jackpot or winning the Super Bowl or getting your dream job or marrying your dream girl or dream guy. That's the kind of joy that this new king is going to give to the people. In verse 4, Isaiah compares this deliverance to the days of Gideon when with a few weak men, God miraculously delivered Israel out of the hands of the mighty Midianite hordes. Now Isaiah foresees another such miraculous deliverance is going to cause the people to overflow with joy. Here's what this is like. It's like your, your team is the underdog and, and their opponents are favored to win by a huge margin. But somehow your team pulls off a huge upset. They call it a modern day miracle. They win the game and the fans go wild. That's the kind of thing that Isaiah's uh, prophesying here. But of course it's more than a game. This is the deliverance of a captive people from their oppressors against all odds. And the people go crazy with joy. In verse 5, the people rejoice because this king has brought war to an end. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be burned up. All the trappings and the instruments of war are being heaped up into a pile and burned. The war is over. Finally, peace has come. All as a result of this king who would be born. Leadership matters. And this is what this new leader would accomplish. Then finally in verse 6, Isaiah describes this child himself. This royal son who will accomplish all this. This baby who would grow up and mature until his shoulders were broad enough to bear the responsibilities of government to, to fit the mantle which this prophecy designed and destined for him. Let's take some time now and, and reflect on the wonderful description of this child. Wonderful counselor. This refers to the king's wisdom. If you look at the original Hebrew, the, the wonder here is, is, is in, uh, ra- rather the, the wonder, um, the wonderful here, this word wonder um, is wonder as in signs and wonders. And so some have suggested the translation supernatural rather than wonderful. This king's counsel would be, would be God-given. It would be uncannily beyond what you could expect from a human being. Just as God gave amazing wisdom to King Solomon, so now this king will have unparalleled wisdom to discharge the duties of his office, to oversee the welfare and the administration of his people. Finally, a leader who is truly wise. Next, mighty God. This word mighty is a military word. In Hebrew, it, it, it's, it's a military term. This king will be a mighty warrior in battle. He will have strength. He will have prowess to, to fight on behalf of God's people and for God's cause and God's kingdom. And he will not only be mighty, he will be mighty God. 
And the Jews in Isaiah's day couldn't have grasped the full implications of that word. But we now know that that king would be God in the fullest sense of the word. Wonderful counselor, wise, mighty, powerful, victorious God. Then we have everlasting father. Kings who ruled well, who were genuinely concerned for the welfare of their people, were sometimes called fathers of their people. Much like we use the phrase founding fathers to uh, speak of the leaders who in the past have provided us with great leadership. And this king will be an everlasting father. There have been great leaders in the past, but they have all died and wound up in the history books. And sometimes their successors were not as righteous or as wise or as competent as they were. At this point, I can't resist quoting Hamilton. (laughs) There's a place in the musical where George Washington is stepping down after giving great leadership to our new nation for eight solid years. And King George of England hears about it and and he sings, I'm perplexed. Are they going to keep on replacing whoever's in charge? If so, who's next? There's nobody else in their country who looms quite as large. Oceans rise, empires fall. Next to Washington, they all look small. When you have a really good leader, it's hard, it's painful to lose that kind of father and risk going on with someone who's not half the leader as that person was. But human leaders, no matter how great they are, cannot lead forever. And so the glory days must come to an end and darker, more uncertain days often follow. But not so with the leader Isaiah foretells. No, this king's reign would last forever. He would be an everlasting father to his people. Then lastly, he would be a prince of peace. Whenever we see this word peace in the Old Testament, we have to remember it's, it's translating the Hebrew word shalom, which means more than peace as we use it in English. The the Prince of Peace brings shalom, brings wholeness, brings flourishing in every sense of the word. This prince would restore all things to the way they're meant to be. Of the increase of his government and of shalom, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passionate jealousy, of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's passionate jealousy, God's passionate commitment to his people, for his glory, for his plans on the earth, they would cause God to send his people such a leader, such a king. Wow, just think of what good news this was for God's people in Ahaz's day. Leadership matters, but but they were suffering under the faithless leadership of Ahaz. But, Isaiah foretells, God wouldn't let his people suffer endlessly. No, God would send them this king. This is great news for Isaiah's contemporaries. It's even better news for us. Because we now know who this king is, right? This king has come. This morning we celebrate his birth. Because when no earthly leader was up to the task, God sent his own son to be the leader that we needed. He's a king wiser than Solomon. He's a king mightier in battle than King David. He's a new founding father whose good fatherly rule began 2,000 years ago and has just continued to grow. Until he brings peace 
shalom to the whole earth, mending everything that's broken, bringing healing to every hurt and disease, putting right every wrong, breaking every bondage, and setting every captive free. Do you know this king? Have you given your allegiance to his rule? Are you aligning your life with his purposes and his kingdom? Are you pursuing the kinds of things that Isaiah foretells that he would come to bring? The kinds of priorities. Leadership matters. Are you still trying to figure everything out on your own like Ahaz was? Or are you trusting this leader, following this leader, born in Bethlehem, given to us by God in his grace? Merry Christmas.